scripture reading that uh, Jay has selected to be read this evening uh, before his message is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you were doing. I have always been fascinated uh, by architecture. I've never studied it, nor will I do, nor do I really know much about it. But it fascinates me. It, it inspires me, and it kind of mesmerizes me at times to to look back and see what man has been able to create in the past, to build, to construct in the past, but also to look around today and see the the structures and the amazing things that men and women are building right now. And something that always really kind of I guess takes me aback is uh, the fact that sometimes the smallest change in materials or designs can have a massive impact on not only a building, but really all of history. How when you're building a, a, a very large structure, just one small aspect of it really sets everything off. And then when you look at the timeline of history, how the smallest of, of inventions or, or changing of how they did something set a whole new wave of culture and history, history and a way of life. One such thing is a mystery that I, I, had, uh, I had watched something on some time ago that really fascinated me, was the mystery of Roman concrete. And I, didn't, I, I saw this on the History Channel, and I thought that's either going to be extremely boring or extremely exciting. Thankfully, it was somewhere in between, right? So Roman concrete, the mystery behind it is, if I think I have a, a, a picture of it right there, Structures that the Romans built some 2,000 years ago out of a, a, a mix of their own kind of secret, secret little mixture of concrete, they're still standing today, despite being on the shores of Italy in salt-laden lakes and in the ocean. And the interesting thing about that is the concrete that we build today erodes pretty quickly in salt water. So how did the Romans some 2,000 years ago come up with something that would still be standing today, but now we're having trouble coming up with the same concoction. And so what they find out, long story short, is they were putting volcanic, volcanic ash inside of it. And it was a porous material that as the salt, salt water was rushing into it, it was strengthening it, strengthening it year by year by year. And so not only has it not gotten weaker over 2,000 years, it's actually stronger today than it was 2,000 years ago, all, all because that it, while they were making the concrete, somehow they had found out putting some volcanic ash inside of it made all the difference. The thing I want to talk about tonight is in this next picture, and it's the difference between these two archways. Now, when, look, when I was first seeing this and understanding this, that the difference in left to right is just, okay, well, I guess which, whichever one you like better, right? If you're building a house, and maybe you like a little rounded arch, maybe you like a little more pointed arch. There's no difference in the structural integrity, integrity of it, though. So when I, when I saw this, okay, what's the big deal? Well, the one you see on your right changed all of history, really, around the turn of the 12th century. You see the one on the left is called the Roman arch, the, the rounded arch. And it was good, and you could build large structures with it, but once it had a roof on it, once it, was, once it got to a certain height, the weight distribution just went out sideways. It was more horizontal. So as the weight is piling up or on the top of this rounded arch, the weight is going out. And so the way to combat that is to build bigger, thicker walls. That's a lot, a lot of times when you see Roman structures, really thick, heavy structures. 
they couldn't build them just extremely high because of the weight distribution. Well, some genius in the 12th century said, you know what, what if we just give it a little point, right? <laughs> and that made all the difference. Because you see, when you make a, a pointed archway, or what you would call a, go a gothic arch, the weight distribution goes from horizontal to, vert to vertical. And all that weight that's being pressed down goes to the floor. And there you can add buttresses, you can make a thicker basement, but you can build up and you can go higher, taller, you can ha have bigger, grander halls. And it changed everything. Because of this one small invention, just moving away from a rounded archway all the way to something called a, a pointed arch or a gothic arch, made all the difference. Because of that, places like Notre Dame or this cathedral here in France, those are possible only because of this right here. One very small change, just squeezing it in and making a little bit more of a pointed arch on top, made it possible for these things that are still standing today, obviously, for us to marvel at. Which brings me to our, our word tonight that we're looking at. You see, what, what many people called the Gothic arch, how, when they would describe to somebody, they would say, that is a beautiful support. That's what you would call an arch like that, what you would say, that is a beautiful support. It, it, it's effective, but also in its working, it shows beauty. Which brings us to our second point in our, our Simplify series, in this idea of edify. Now, Mingyu did a great job last week. We were, out, we were out of town on retreat, but I've since watched. He did a great job of kind of opening up the study, okay, and looking at what the goals of the church is. When we go to Scripture, what is the main purpose that we find for, our will, for, our, for us today as well as for them back then? What's the main goal? What's the mission that they have? So Mingyu tackled that, leading with this idea that is to glorify God. We glorify God not only in how we worship Him, but also how we obey Him. And he had an upward focus. And everything that he talked about last week was looking up, glorify, glorifying God by worshiping Him and obeying His commands by proving our love to Him. It was an upward focus. Tonight, we're not moving on from that, but a different way, a, a different step in this kind of series that we're looking at is looking inward. And we're tackling this word, edify. If you still have your Bible, the First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, let's go back to see what Paul wrote. He says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The focus tonight is to show our purpose within each other. We know our purpose tonight is obviously to glorify God in our lives and to obey Him, to worship Him. When it comes to my responsibility to you in this room tonight and those watching online and those that were here on Sunday, Sunday morning, What's my, I know my responsibility to God is to worship Him, to obey Him, but what is my responsibility to you tonight and tomorrow and every day the rest of my life? What is it to you? Because maybe you've been like me at times and said, okay, I can glorify God to a certain degree on my own, right? I can praise Him. I can lift my voice in song and praise. I can read His Word. I can glorify God. I can obey Him privately. Next week, Ben is going to bring us a lesson about testifying, about witnessing and, 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 and showing Christ to the world through both evangelism and our service. Well, I can do that on my own, right? So if I can fulfill the upward goal, and if I can fulfill the outward goal pretty much on my own, then, then what's the point of this? Especially right now during this COVID, concern, this COVID year, or year and a half, or how long this is going to last, 
Maybe we've all asked, okay, what's the point? I can watch online. I can sit on my couch. It's more comfortable there. I can wake up a little, whatever it may be. What is the point of this? Why do we build buildings like this? Why do we have pews in this room? What is our responsibility to each other? And I think it can be summed up in this word edify. Last week we looked at glorify. This week it's edify. A lot of modern translations, ESV, um, New American Standard, instead of the word edify here, they might, they will more than likely use the words and build one another up. If you're using the King James Version, the New King James Version, it will say the word and edify one another, which is a right um, translation of the Greek word there. It means to build up, to physically build up. Christ would use this word often. A couple times that he used it in his ministry first in um, talking about the building up of a city. Christ used this word to describe both the physical building of the wise and foolish men as he would build their house from the foundation. He used this Greek word, okadameo, to build up, to, to physically lay a foundation and to build up from that. But he also used it in kind of a figurative way. When he's talking about in Matthew chapter 16, and upon, that, upon this confession, upon this rock, I will build, same word here used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, I will build my church. There's a, there's a broader meaning to it than physically laying brick and mortar, cornerstone structures, archways. The idea behind to edify one another means to, to simply to build one another up. To take you where you are and help you achieve greater things. For you to look at where I am right now and to help me reach higher things in my life, to build me up, to strengthen my base, to help me to reach higher. That's what the word edify simply means, to erect a building, the building up of a character, to build or to encourage. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 11 through 16. As we continue to try to, to define what this word edify means, Paul gives a pretty good discourse here and what he's trying to get across. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave some of the apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. As a result, we, have no, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body to the building of a, of, up of itself in love. You see, sometimes I think we take this command to, to build one another up, to encourage one another, to be there for one another. Is it, is it more of a simple suggestion, right? It's like when you're... Um, I drove a school bus, and sometimes I would try to... You know, the kids were in, going wild behind me. And my best attempts of quietening was like, okay, be nice to each other. At most... That was a hopeful suggestion, right? The best case scenario, they got some of that going across to them. And I think sometimes when we look to each other, 
And we sit across from each other at pews, and we, we understand this concept. We need to edify. We need to, I need to be building you up. You should be building me up. We think, you know what, that's right. That, I really should be doing that. That's a great suggestion in my life. It really is better to, to just be kind, isn't it? But it's so much more than that. What Paul will say here in verse 14, so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. There is a purpose in our edification. There is more than just a benefit. A benefit. Last, last semester when, in teaching the teens, I was talking about how important it is to study your Bible. And I said one of the, the, the main things in that is making Bible study more than just a benefit in your life. At some point in your spiritual life, you have to cross this line that, yes, Bible study is beneficial, but at some point you have to get it across and say, okay, no, but Bible study is crucial. It's not just helpful, I, I, I need it. I have to have it in my life. Well, at some point in our Christian walk together, we have to understand, like in verse 14, that our Christian walk together, my responsibility to be there for you and your responsibility to be there for me is more than just a suggestion. It's more than just beneficial at times. It's crucial. And, I've, and I need it, and, and you need it as well. Because without it, Without the support that I have around me, then like a child, I'll be tossed back and forth, back and forth. Whether it be from deceitful uh, teachings or just the stress of life. There's a reason that edification is more than just a suggestion in Scripture. It's because in the wisdom of God, He looks down and says, you need each other. You need me. But only outside of that, you need each other. Verse 14 says, so that you won't be tossed around. Do you have people in here tonight that are there for you, to help ground you? You know, in Gothic architecture, you have this, you have, you know, the, some of the main things that make that architecture so pronounced or so, um, so easy to recognize. Is one of them is the Gothic, Gothic arch, but the next one is called the flying buttresses. Those, those structures on the side of the building that simply is not attached to the building, but are a part that come in and provide support to the main structure. You can see them almost all the cathedrals that the two I showed earlier, these extra supports on the outside. Do you have these extra supports in your life? When you look down the pew left and right, when you look at the people that you talked to this morning, are they, are, are they more than just acquaintances? Are they more than just people that you happen to see here on Sunday mornings? I used to go to Waffle House every single Tuesday when I lived in Tuscaloosa. It was a great habit. I don't, deny, I don't take it back at all. I loved it. I had one waitress, Miss Francis. I missed her. She was great. I would pull up, and she'd be putting my food out. She knew which car I drove. I, a lot of, I, there were a lot of regulars at this Waffle House. Every Tuesday, me and, the, me and the other two ministers would go there, and we'd see a few people always sitting in the, in the booth down. We'd see the same guys always sitting at the bar right there, you know. Just because I saw them every Tuesday at 15, does that, did that guarantee I had a relationship with them? No, we barely spoke. At times, you know, we recognize, I know you, you know me, how you doing, you having a good week, I'll, I'll see you next Tuesday at 15, right? We'll sit in silence. I wonder, I wonder how many times that happens in this building. I wonder how many times it happens in the youth room. This is something I talked about last week, in the need for unity within the group. That we know each other, that we see each other, that we recognize, we maybe even know some background, and we, we, we want to say how, how you're doing, are you having a good week. I understand that's all we can do at times, and that's fine. But God is also 
not just asking, but calling us to make deeper connections in that. To look out, to look inward within this congregation into the body of, the body of Christ to find support. So that you won't be tossed back and forth from deceitful teachings. That you can bounce ideas off other, other people. So that you won't be tossed back and forth from the stress of life and the ups and downs that the, the life that we live and the culture that we're in. We need this. It's not just a suggestion. It's a command. I've got to be there for you, and you've got to be there for me. Do you have those connections tonight with the people that are here, or that were here this morning, or that are here at some point? Do you have those connections? Let me say this as well. Are you making those connections? It's important to look inwardly and say, okay, do I have people in my life that, that are there for me that, I, that were really in need that I knew would come to me? But let me just change it a little bit. Do you have people in your life that you go to and you check on? Are there people in this room tonight or here this morning that you could go to? Because of, the, because of the amount of time you've invested in their life and you've poured into their life and, and the, the closeness that you have, that you can go and you can be there for them. Because a two, it's a two-way street in finding this support. If you're thinking tonight, you know what, I, I don't have anybody. Then find some people you can start investing in as well. And look outward tonight to find the people that can be there for you and that you can be there for them. It's more than just a suggestion. It's crucial. So how are we going to do What does this look like? I can do a whole lesson on it, how important it is to build one another up, but it, it's not going to mean anything unless we look at what that means, right? What does it look like for me to build you up and for you to build me up? Well, like Mingyu last week, and I think like how Ben and Kyle are going to do moving forward, the perfect example of this is found in the first century church. They're not perfect, but they give a great example of what true edification, building one another up, looks like. And I have to start by going to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you have your Bibles, go over to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 42. We're going to look at a few different occasions in the book of Acts tonight where they showed almost flawless uh, execution of building one another up. Acts 40, uh, two, chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one another, with one, with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were ta- taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of a heart. Verse 47, praising God, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. If you look back at verse 42, I think you find two aspects of building one another up that is imperative that we include in our lives. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The first part of building one another up is simply discipleship. Us being there for one another to help, in, to instruct, to teach, and to help other people to grow in their spiritual faith. We need to be pouring in people's lives, and we need people to be pouring into our lives instruction, devotion, 
Someone that can show us how to mature in our spiritual faith to, to, to take the next step in our discipleship with Christ. So I think discipleship is the first one. And then as you keep looking into fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The second aspect of to edify, to really build one another up, is to, yes, to, to teach, to, to have someone in your life that can help you to move forward, but also to fellowship with, to spend time with. You can build, you can build somebody up by just being there, right? Just your attendance alone can be a source of encouragement to the people in this room. I try to get that across the, to, to our teams in the youth group. You know, when you start, when, I, when we're going to an event, and the, you know, the question is, okay, you know, is so and so going to be there? You know, I, I may, I'm thinking about going, but you know, is you know, are they going to be there? Stuff like that. I'll go if they're, they're going. And the mindset that we truly should have is that just my presence being there, I make that decision. I'm going to be there, and our presence there will bring encouragement. Just our attendance alone, our fellowship being there with one another can bring encouragement to each other. Flip over to Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. The two statements that we find here that really just cries out the word unity is, is a similar statement that I talked about last week when it comes to the unity within the youth group. The congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. They had, they had achieved this level of unity that there was, no one of, there was no place, there was no person in need. There was, no, there, was, there was not someone in their midst that were suffering that needed someone to step down and help them, because those needs were already met, because they were of one heart and one soul. Can you think back at a time in your life where you felt like you were with a group of people you were one heart and one soul with? Maybe it was a, a close-knit group of friends, a certain team that we were on that you felt like you didn't have to even communicate with them so much because they knew what you were thinking and you knew what they were thinking. Maybe it's your spouse. You obviously feel that closer connection, that one heart, one soul connection with them because of the time you spent with one another. This language that Luke uses here in Acts chapter 4 is not trivial. That's the level of connection that this group, who had not been together just that long, had already reached one heart, one soul, and all had things in common. All things were common property to them all. Flip over to Acts chapter 11. Talking about the, the growth of the church of Antioch, look at verse 22, Acts 11, 22. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for, for Tars to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year they met with the church, and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It's the same pattern that we see in Acts chapter 2. You have this constant connection that these people are getting together, but you have encouragement and education. You have the discipleship 
in the fellowship. Barnabas is sent there to encourage them. He is there to build them up in every way he can. But then once he gets there and he's achieving that, he goes and gets Saul. And Paul, you know, Paul comes in. And they begin to teach regularly for over a year at this point. It's this balance of fellowship and discipleship, education and edification. Forgot the main word there for a second. And that's what it means to simply... And that's the picture we have of the first century church. They spend enough time with each other. They had all things in common. They were... Edification. And this is something to remember. Did they achieve unity? Absolutely. Were they consumed with edifying and building one another up? Absolutely. Was this easy for them? Definitely not. Because how different they were. Because how different that this group of people were from each other. This is something I mentioned. Different regional backgrounds. When you look at the group that is here in, in, in the first chapters of Acts, you go back to Acts chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, they're from all over the region. You've got Jews coming in from Rome, you've got Jews coming in from the Far East, the North, and they're all coming to Jerusalem for the Passover meal here. And from all different regions, with different backgrounds, different customs. They may have one faith to some degree, but they're all going to come at it a different way. They have different religious practices. They all might have been Jews at the beginning, but they all came there with different ideas of how to do that. They all came with different financial backgrounds. The fact that there was a need to reach down to help those, those that didn't have property, those that were staying there in Jerusalem because they had given their life to Christ and now didn't want to return home and now were staying there, there was a great need. So in this great mixing of people, as this great edification is going on, this unity is being achieved, the people that are being unified are different in, in every way possible. Regional, religious, financial, even political ideals, societal roles, you've got husbands and wives, uh, fathers and sons, slaves and masters freed, and Gentile Jews and Gentiles, you've got all this, this great mixing of people coming together, and yet this group still achieved this level of edification that already by Acts chapter 4, verse 32, you've got this idea. One heart, one mind, all things in common. They were able to overcome these odds and build one another up and not tear each other down. And I wonder how that group went we could pluck them up and bring them here today, what they, how they would instruct us. And how they, would, how they would examine the barriers that we feel like are between us at times. Because we're from different areas. Most of us may maybe not even from the state of Georgia. We're from different counties, different parts of this state even. We have different ideals. We have different goals in life. We have different economic contexts coming into this place. We, we all come with a different societal role, whether it be husband, wife, father, son, whatever it may be. They have different political views. And yet they were able to overcome it. And I feel like far too often we get so caught up in the differences that we have that we, we're, not, we're not able to build one another up. The only thing that we're building between us is the walls that divide us. 
The only time that we, that we put in building one another up is maybe the one person that's just like me or the two people that sit on my pew or something that may be close to that. But more than that, we really just build up the walls. Okay, this is I am. They're a little difficult to talk to. They're a little different than I am. And so this edification, this command that God has put in our lives never is achieved because we keep building the walls up and not one another up. We can't achieve it at times. We fail to achieve it, I should say, at times. The first century church did... I want to show a slide of how Buford right now is seeking to achieve it. We as members sometimes don't do a great job at it, but our elders and those that are leading our deacons or our, our, our program leaders are doing as much as they can to provide as much opportunities for discipleship and fellowship, even in the year of COVID, that they can. I know you can't read all the words behind me, but those are just a sample of the, wor- of the programs, ministries, events, activities that that we have available at our fingertips right now. That throughout this year, COVID pending, right, that we'll have opportunity to take part of. You've got things like our weekly Bible classes on Sundays and Wednesdays, but you've got the extra ones, the Monday Bible study, the ladies Bible class, you've got a men's study on, on Thursday nights. This opportunity to build one another up through discipleship is there. You've got the Georgia School of Preaching. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm tempted to. I'm not. If you're having trouble finding someone to build up, or you're having trouble not having someone to build you up, then maybe investing in one of these programs and ministries could help you find that somebody. That could help you find those connections to build one another up. So let me ask you this. How are you fulfilling this tonight? Romans chapter 14 and verse 19. How are you fulfilling this tonight? So then... Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We are commanded to seek peace in every way possible. And we just finished our Ecclesiastes study, and we, we talked multiple times. Uh, Solomon made us, right? We talked multiple times on our presence on social media, on our, our presence and how we talk to other people about our views. How are you fulfilling the command to edify tonight? When was the last time you went out of your way to build someone up with kind words, a letter of encouragement, with your presence and something that's going on? How are you fulfilling this tonight? Going back to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul would write, Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, your mouths, but only such is good for building up, the same word used, 1 Thessalonians 5, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. How are you instructing and encouraging others around you? In your family, how are you building them up? In your schools, how are you building the people around you up? In your, in your, in your workplaces, how are you building one another up? And then when you come here on, week, well, on Sundays and Wednesdays, and maybe different times, in times you're building, getting together with, with people in this room at different times, how are you building them up. Because let me say this, there is a desperate need for you to invest in other people. Because that's what the church is for. You know, when I, 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 really, I really look forward to heaven one day. I hope you do too, right? I'm not making some huge statement there. 
I look forward to heaven one day because I can, there's that ultimate peace, there's that ultimate comfort. I'll be with God. Anything I've ever needed now in my life will be, will be given to me there just by being in His presence. But the church gives me a taste of that today. Because I've had people who have poured in my life. And maybe you've had people who have poured into your life. You see, the purpose of the church, and maybe I've made this point before here, is to fill in the gaps that this life creates. You don't have, you don't have a spouse, you don't have a parent, you don't have a brother or sister. This church is here to provide you that level of support, of instruction, of mentorship, whatever it may be that you are lacking. Maybe it's just order. Maybe when you walk out of these walls, the life that you live is a little bit chaotic. Maybe we could all say that. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's someone who's kind to you, who doesn't speak out against you. What gaps in your life can this congregation fill for you? And how can you be there for somebody else? What can you do tonight to fill a gap in someone else's life? Because we need each other to be there for this. God gave us this so that we could have a taste of heaven moving forward. And we don't have to wait to the end of time, to when our time is over, whatever it may be, when we're sitting there with Him, that we can find that peace and comfort and well-being. He says, you know what? The life of a Christian doesn't have to be, well, this is, I've got to put my head down, and I've got to carry my cross, and I've just got to grip my teeth, and one day I'll be joyful, one day there'll be peace, one day there'll be happiness in my life. That's not what God is calling us to. God gave us the church that we could have the joy, the peace, the comfort now. That we could experience this love and closeness today. That we can see further the love of God by the love of people that they show in our lives. One of my favorite hymns is the song um, Where No One Stands Alone. I was looking, I was reading something about that the other day, and, and the man that wrote it, his name is uh, Mosi Lister. Uh, Back in the 1940s, he's driving in his car near Helen, Georgia. And he's gotten to a point, he's gotten to an area in, it, in this where he hasn't seen cars in a few miles, right? He's a composer who writes hymns. See, that's what he's been doing for about 15 years to this point in his life. And he realizes just how alone he is in this north, northern Georgia mountains, right? Maybe you've been there, right? You haven't seen a car for a while, haven't seen a gas station in maybe an hour. And he realizes as the sun is setting, I, I, am, I need to get to my destination. And with his musically inclined mind, he starts thinking, he starts humming out. He says, to, almost to the beat of this car that he was driving, the chorus of where no one stands alone. And it would take him a couple more years to, to compile and to write the verses that would accompany this. But he said he grew, he, he, he got inspiration from the loneliness from that day in that car, but also when you read Psalms chapter 27, when you look at the life of David, when you look at 1 Kings chapter 19, when Elijah is by himself, men who, when we read, it, it's, it's easy to see that God is around them, but still they feel alone. And Lister wrote where he couldn't wait to be where no one stood alone. Because he couldn't wait to get there one day, to stand with God, a place where no one stands alone. But, but my question for you tonight is, why can't, why can't that be this building? Why can't 
that be this group of people? Why can't that be your group that's around you? A place where no one stands alone. That whatever sin they're struggling with, whatever stressor in life that, it, that is weighing them down, the last thing anyone a part of the body of Christ has to worry about is that they have to stand alone in that fight. Because not only do they have God standing with them, but they know without a shadow of doubt they've got their brothers and sisters with them as well. Maybe tonight for a different reason for different reasons you, you feel like you're standing alone. Because of maybe what you're, you're going through, temptation, you're fighting, whatever it may be that you just need prayers with, maybe you've gotten to a point where you feel like you're standing alone to some degree. And you want your brothers and sisters to be there. Or maybe you're outside the faith, watching online, or here tonight, outside of the faith, and you don't stand with God. And you do stand alone. And you want to know what it's like to stand with the Creator. And you want to know what it's like to have your brothers and sisters come from the outside and support you in every way possible. Not if you have any need, just come forward if you stand in. I have decided to